Hey, Kirby. Kirby. Well, good afternoon on this beautiful holy day. That has to go on there. I guess we don't have a whole lot to announce other than tomorrow uh, we'll have a 7 o'clock service in the evening with finger foods. So we have pretty much a day off tomorrow, summer working and other things going on. We were reading last night in the book of John, <clears throat> but on past that in John 19.20, Christ is quoted as saying, I thirst. And from that, a song was written, which will now be sung by the uh, church choir, I thirst. You have Daryl on? Okay. One day I came to him, I was so thirsty. I asked for water, my throat was so dry. He gave me water that I never dreamed of. But for this water, my Lord had to die. He said, I thirst, yet he made the river. He said, I thirst, yet he made the sea. I thirst, said the king of the ages. In his great thirst, he brought water to me. Now there's a river that flows as clear as crystal. It comes from God's throne above. And like a river, it wells up inside me, bringing mercy and life-giving love. He said, I thirst, yet he made the river. He said, I thirst, 
Before we get into the sermon per se, I want to say something about the Days of Unleavened Bread. Uh, let's go back for a moment to Leviticus 23. This is the only passage <clears throat> that gives any problem whatsoever to a seven-day feast, uh, with the first day being the Passover. Uh, you can go New Testament, Ezekiel, Numbers, all the scriptures that have to do with the Passover, the length and the beginning of and the end thereof, uh, indicate a total of seven days. Ezekiel even said a, a uh, feast of seven days. And we have traditionally in the Church of God kept it really eight days, uh, Passover, and then a day of pizza and donuts and working on the following day, and then seven more days. And I think that is a gross misunderstanding, and I first came upon it back in the 60s when I was pastoring the Miami church, and I went to Exodus 12, and I said, this just doesn't fit what we're doing. And then I thought, well, those guys in Pasadena have a lot more smarts than I do and a lot more understanding, and I must just not be smart enough to see that this is the way it ought to be, or how it ought to be, because I could see clearly there was an inconsistency. But if you bring this up, 
people will almost inevitably come to Leviticus 23 and read it <coughs> and say that it has to be a time of eight days altogether. He says here in chapter 23, these are the feasts of the Lord, uh, which you'll call holy convocations, that is, commanded assemblies. These are my feasts. Six days shall you work, your work be done, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of rest and holy convocation. You shall do no work therein. It is the Sabbath of the eternal in all your dwellings. So that's speaking of the weekly Sabbath, obviously. And then the first holy days of the year come next. Uh, in the fourteenth day of the first month, at evening, end of the day, is the Lord's Passover. And on the fifteenth day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the, to the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. So what we were doing, we were eating unleavened bread at the Passover itself and then skipping over uh, the next day and starting another seven days on the 15th. Now, you could make that sense out of this right here. Uh, it, it is a bit of a conundrum. It's, it's a little bit uh, vague, but when you compare all the other scriptures, they are very clear. And that's one rule of Bible study. If there's six or eight or ten clear scriptures, and one that's a little vague... You go by the eight or ten that are very clear. And the vague one, you put a question mark in your mind and say, maybe I'll understand that better someday. Because the clear ones are the ones that you have to go by. Now I'm going to flip back to Exodus 12 here. And let's understand this. We just call this the first day of unleavened bread. And in one sense, that is true. It is the first day that we eat unleavened bread. But this day has its own name that goes beyond that. Let's see it here. <clears throat> He's talking about the 14th at evening, uh, end of the 14th day, which was last night. Uh, the beginning, well, no, see, the end of the 13th, beginning of the 14th in the evening. That's what I was trying to say. And that's the evening you kill the lamb is beginning of the 14th. And it doesn't change here the day whatsoever as it goes on to explain what you're to do. How you're to remain with your clothes on and your, your uh, sandals on and your walking stick and uh, not leaven your bread because you're going to have to go. Verse 11. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, that's that same night, beginning of the 14th, and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Mitzrayim, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt I will bring execute judgment. I am the Eternal. You'll notice again here, as he does in so many passages, God proclaims who He is. I was just thinking this morning, God is not vain, uh, 
and yet he appreciates hallowing his name, giving him glory and honor and praise for all that he is. And it's not that he has to have that for some ego's sake. It's mostly for us. Because mankind, for the most part, has <clears throat> never honored and praised God and looked to him as the all-sovereign creator of the entire universe. Not many people have that concept. They don't understand it, and they don't know what his purpose and plan is down here. So he, he constantly has to, in that sense, fight for recognition, if you will. Because mankind does not want to recognize there is an almighty, all-powerful God who is in control of everything. So he was about to show, as he had just shown the nation of Mitzrayim, or Egypt, we tend to call it, that it was the people of Mitzrayim, uh, in the Mitzrayim Empire, not Egyptian. That is a misnomer in itself. But uh, he had just showed them all those signs and wonders to let them know he was God. And now he was going to show Israel, who didn't really understand him yet either, and remember, he let them go through some of the plagues, and then he made a difference for them. And I've always thought we would go through the beginning stages of what's happening in our world, and at some point he will make a difference for us. And I think that we're starting to go through some of that, and the difference will be made at some point. But he told them he would do this, and... Uh, the blood that they put on the doorposts would protect them. So Mitzrayim was about to get yet another lesson, and therefore it's going all dying, and Israel was going to get a lesson in the Savior God if they put the blood on, and they would not suffer that loss. So it was a positive experience for them, and yet another negative experience for uh, the Mitzrayimites. And this day, not the 15th, the 14th, this day, he hasn't changed the day in here. It's all same evening, same night. So that same evening, he says, And this day shall be to you for a memorial. <clears throat> Why did we not read verse 14 all those decades when we did this wrong? The day that we went to work and had donuts for lunch uh, was the memorial. A memorial is a day that is important for whatever reason. July 4th is a memorial. July 5th is not a memorial at all. It has no meaning underneath. July 3rd isn't anything. July 4th, Independence Day, it's the memorial. And the Passover Day is the memorial, from the 14th to the beginning of the 15th. And you shall keep it a feast to the eternal throughout your generations. So Passover Day, the 14th, is a feast. Okay, it says it right there. 
throughout your generations, you shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. So the 14th is a feast. What feast is it? The feast of the Passover, obviously. Get that? It may be also the first day of unleavened bread, but it is a feast unto itself, the feast of the Passover. That's what happened on that day, was the Passover. All the things that happened to Christ that we started reading about last night, uh, all happened on Passover evening. They took the Passover, they did the foot washing, he gave them a long talk, and then at midnight he went out to be turned over to the Romans. And then all that night he was misused, but come daylight uh, he was condemned. And on the 14th is the day that he had his body broken and beaten and horribly hung and crucified, was on Passover day. So that Passover they took the prior evening was the old way of doing it. And then he added the new symbols and made that day the Passover. What I'm driving at here, and I think we'll see, is that there are two feasts here. It's that way in the fall uh, with the Feast of Tabernacles. You have seven days, the Feast of Tabernacles, and then you have a separate feast to recognize uh, those who have died and not had a chance at salvation throughout history. The last great day is the feast unto itself. Now, there you have a total of eight days, seven for Feast of Tabernacles. The eighth is added for the Great White Zone Judgment. But Ezekiel shows us very clearly we only have a seven-day feast, and that's all. Exodus says the same thing. I want to get down to that. Now, he says that the Passover day, the 14th, can't get around that. The 14th is a memorial, it's a feast, and an ordinance forever. Is that clear? That's just in so many words. It's, how do you argue with that? Then he explains a little. Seven days shall you eat unleavened bread. Not eight, seven. Even the first day you shall put away leaven out of your houses. Now, what were they to do on the evening of the 14th at the beginning? They were to eat the Passover with unleavened bread. Now, we saw that, but then we decided to just go ahead and skip till the 15th, and that's when the 7 would start. No, 7 days total here. The first day was the Passover. That's when you put leaven out was before the Passover, okay? How are you going to eat it the next day if you put it out at the beginning of the 14th? It would be gone. What if, what if we... And we did that, didn't we? We'd clean it out sometimes before Passover. Some would wait until the next day to put it out. But they didn't have it on Passover evening. Nor would they have had it the next day. In fact, 
they left at midnight, and their uh, leavening and breadboards were on their back, and they hadn't been leavened. So they didn't have any leavening on the 14th, uh, the daylight portion even. Uh, and they didn't stop until they got to a place to stay. Okay. Seven days you eat it. Even the first day you put away leaven out of your houses. For whosoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. So, seven day total, okay? Holy Convocation the first day, that's Passover day, the 14th. That's where we are today. This is Passover, it's the 14th. Hasn't changed. Uh, no manner of work. And you shall, verse 17, observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread, for in this selfsame day have I brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. They marched out when? Midnight, beginning of the 14th. And they walked through the 14th until they came to sundown and camped for the night at the beginning of the 15th. This self-same day, that's the 14th. Therefore shall you observe this day, the Passover day, in your generations by an ordinance forever. And then he explains clearly. In the first month, in the fourteenth day of the month, at evening, beginning of the day, you shall eat unleavened bread until the one and twentieth day of the month at even. Until the twenty-first day starts. All right, what do you got? Start of the fourteenth, you have the fourteenth, fifteenth, sixteenth, seventeenth, eighteenth, nineteenth, and twentieth. That's seven. And when the 21st day starts, it's over. But we weren't doing it that way. We were starting on the 15th, counting seven, and ending at the end of the 21st. And the Passover was kind of an afterthought. So he makes it very clear here which days are the seven days. That includes Passover day. So, what do we have then in Leviticus 23? To me, this looks actually pretty simple. How did God set up the week? One day was for him, right? And then you had six where a man could work and do all his labors. Now here, he starts off with the first being a Sabbath, it's not the weekly Sabbath, it's a, an annual Sabbath. And what happened on that day was all that he did. Now, which is more hallowed, that which Christ did, or what you and I do? Which is more important, what Christ does, or what we do? That's a no-brainer. Everything he does is important. Everything we do goes up and down in importance, but it's not all that great. So, on the first day, beginning in the evening, they sacrificed the Passover, which was a type of him. And then it was a holy time, 
And they weren't to do anything but wait until the cry came to leave. And when that cry came, the Pharaoh and all the Mithraimites were finally not only ready, but anxious for them to go away. When they had all their firstborn die, it became panic time. Get out of here. Take anything you want. Spoil us. Here's my jewels. Here's this. Here's that. Take it. Go. That was at midnight on the evening of the 14th. And they were run out of Egypt, not with a sword, but with gems and food and whatever Israel decided to take as they went. I need another blanket, thank you. Whatever. So they were running, and they knew it was for their lives, even though they were giving them good stuff as a bride to go now. They knew that the brides would stop and the sword would come out if they didn't get out of there. So, flip to the New Testament, which we read a lot about last night. And the beginning of the 14th, Christ sat down with his disciples, had the traditional meal. Paul tells us we're not to continue that anymore. And then he changed the symbols to the bread and the wine and the foot washing. His body, his blood, our humility. What he did first, the bread and the wine, was more important because it represented Christ himself. The foot washing (coughs) represented his willingness to bow himself before us, but it's mainly a lesson for us to wash each other's feet to humble ourselves in front of each other. That's what they used to do back then as a custom and as a habit. Somebody came in, they were wearing sandals, pull the sandals off, they had dust all over their feet, so you bent over and washed their feet. You didn't want their dirt in the house anyway. (laughs) But nonetheless, uh, that's the way they did it. So it was a sign of humility. What happened the rest of that day? Christ was taken at midnight. He began to be tortured, hated, And he was being beat, stripped of his skin, right now, today, 2,000 years ago about. It was during this first day, the Passover day, the feast, if you will, of Passover, that he was going through this. Doesn't it seem kind of strange that our Savior was going through all that he was going through when we're out making tacos or building a house and still eating unleavened bread when we had put it out the night before. That's weird. So what it amounts to is this first day is a memorial and a feast. It's two feasts together. The one, the first one, is so important that he made it a separate feast all to itself. The feast of the Passover. 
And we say it that way. Passover plus or and the days of unleavened bread is the way we phrase it a lot. So, his, what he did was the first day. The second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth, up to the seventh, represent man and what man does. Now, Christ is the only one that could clear sin out of the world, right? Because of his blood. Now, that's far more important than what we are required to do. But for the next six days, man's part. Six is always man's number. For a man's part, we are to continue to put sin out of our lives. Today pictures him putting sin out for the whole world and applies to us as we repent and are baptized and converted. So he did the enormous amount of work on the first day. Then we have six days to do our work. We're not as good at it as him. He could do all of his in one day. It takes us six and we still don't have the job done when the days of unleavened bread are over. So, to put it that way is correct. Passover, a feast, a memorial, an ordinance forever, and then the feast days afterward for man. That starts on the 15th and goes for six more days, man's portion. So really it's all there in Leviticus 23 if you understand how this whole system is. Uh, then you can see that the Passover is the first day, and then you have the rest, and Exodus already told you it's the 14th to the 21st. So you have to have that in mind when you start interpreting Leviticus 23.6. You already know how when it starts and when it ends. Now, I think it's, is it Deuteronomy or Numbers? I always get that mixed up. Where it says, the first day of seven, you sacrifice the lamb. Very clear. And then there's six more days, and he tells you what to do on those days. So, it should be clear to us. And one reason I wanted to go through this was, since this is that time, if there's any confusion left, we need to clear that. But I wanted to emphasize the importance of the first day, the 14th, because it represents all that Christ did on this day. And we started into that last night, but there's a whole lot more. We always stop reading the Passover service at the end of the 17th of John when he's taken. But there's more after that that we need to consider. And this day is picked up in chapter 18 and moves forward from there. So, we're going to go now to John 18 and pick it up where we left off last night. Now, there are accounts by all four of the gospel writers here. Uh, they all fit together, but some add details that others don't. And you have to get, you have to read all four of them, which I don't have time to do today, in order to get the full story. Uh, John doesn't mention uh, the resurrection of dead people when Christ died, 
nor does it mention them being uh, or, or the earthquake. The graves opened when he died. And then when he was resurrected, the people came out of them and went back into Jerusalem. He doesn't mention that when he died, the veil of the temple was broken in two, which is a very important issue, because that is what allowed us to go to the Father for the first time. We were allowed from that moment on access to the Father's throne, directly like the inner sanctum on the tabernacle, the Holy of Holies. So there are details that one has that the others don't. But I choose to go on in John 18. Uh, he gives a, a great deal of detail. And what he's going through here, starting in 18, is what is happening or happened on this very day as we sit here. And I think it's as timely as you can get to go through this while it was going on. Just as all those years we should have been, instead of working and eating donuts, been thinking about what he went through this day before he was killed. Anyway, uh, when he got done talking with the disciples, and he had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the book of Cedron, where was the garden into the which he entered and his disciples. And Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place. Now Judas had gone out to betray him, and uh, he knew where Christ was likely headed when it came time to bring the soldiers to him and to take it. Uh, and he had received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees come there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Actually, I said something about Roman soldiers earlier. This, this group that came were men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees. So they were Jews who actually came after him. When they brought him to Pilate, uh, there he encountered the Romans. But up until that time, he was in the hands of the Jews. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said to them, Whom seek you? Who are you looking for? Then answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus, uh, they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am. But he is not in the Greek. I am is a title of God. The great I am. You don't put a he on it because it takes away from the title itself. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. As soon then as he had said unto them, I am, they went backward and fell to the ground. This is another example, and there are several in the Bible, where when God showed up, people fell over backward. I mean, fell to the ground. Uh, but when they were under Satan's influence, they went backward. So he said, I am God. I am. And they went over backward because Satan had sent them there and they were under the influence of Satan. We find examples where God came to somebody who was righteous like Abraham. They would fall on their face. 
before God, a, a form of posture of worship. Backward is Satan's influence. So he was Christ, and they were of Satan, so they went backward. He was telling them who they were compared to him, really, is what it amounted to. I am, you ain't. <laughs> Put it in vernacular. Then asked he them again, Who do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. He answered, I told you, I am. If therefore you seek me, let these go their way. So the disciples were there with him. And he says, I'm the one you're after. Let these guys all go. But the saying might be fulfilled, which he spoke, of them which you gave me, I have lost none. Now he, through this context here today, there are many places he quotes from the Old Testament that were prophecies about him. The Bible, the, uh, the Psalms, the prophets are full of quotes about what would happen. They were prophecies of what would happen with him. And, uh, we read some of them last night, Psalm 22, Psalm 23, Isaiah 53, where it was whole chapters. But there are many, many, many hundreds, maybe thousands of references in the Old Testament to the Christ that would be, that would come. And several of those are quoted right here in this context by not only him, but the other gospel writers. Verse 10, then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Then said, Jesus said to Peter, put up your sword into your sheath. The cup which my father has given me, shall I not drink it? You're going to put up a fight? I came here to voluntarily go through this. I'm not being made to do it. I volunteered to do it. I need to do it. In fact, Peter, you need me to do it, or your sins won't be forgiven, and you won't be in the kingdom of God. He didn't say that, but it's, uh, it's implied there. And I'm sure Peter did not swing at the guy's ear. I'm sure he swung at his head or his neck, and the guy kind of ducked and took his ear off. He intended to kill him. Then said Jesus to Peter, put away your sword. And I read that. Then the band and the captain and officers of the Jews took Jesus and bound him. Led him away to Annas first, for he was father-in-law to Caiaphas, which was the high priest that same year. Now, Caiaphas was he which gave counsel to the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. The Romans would release one person a year, uh, forgive them, uh, what do we call it today, uh, where they turn one loose. Well, a pardon, that was not the word I had in mind, but it doesn't matter. But they'll give a pardon. And Simon Peter followed Jesus and said, and so did another disciple. That disciple was known to the high priest and went in with Jesus under the palace of the high priest. Now that's speaking of John. This is the book that John wrote. 
And when he mentions at any time the one that leaned on Christ's breast or the one that knew him or the one that was close to him, he's speaking of himself. He's being uh, polite. He's not trying to be full of ego over it. So he doesn't say, I, John, was a man that he, he liked to have lean on his chest or things of that nature. He just kind of put it in the background, but it's clear who he's talking about. And then they brought in Peter. Then says the damsel that kept the door to Peter, Are you not also one of this man's disciples? And he said, I am not. Remember Christ had told him that he would deny him three times before the cock crew. And the servants and officers stood there who had made a fire of coals, where it was cold, and they warmed themselves, and Peter stood with them and warmed himself. The high priest then asked Jesus of his disciples and of his doctrine. Jesus answered him, I spoke openly to the world. I ever taught in the synagogue and in the temple where the Jews always resort, and in secret have I said nothing. I always said it right out in the temple, out in public, wherever. Uh, they could hear. They know what I said. Why ask you me? Ask them which heard me. What did I say? Behold, they know what I said. And when he had thus spoken, one of the officers which struck, stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Answer you the high priest so? You being a smart aleck? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. Come on, Jews, speak up. What did I say that's evil? But if well, why are you smiting me? Now Annas had sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest, and Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. And they said, Therefore to him, Are not you also one of the disciples? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, being his kinsman, whose ear Peter cut off, said, Did not I see you in the garden with him? Peter then denied again, and immediately rooster crowed. Then led they Jesus from Caiaphas under the hall of judgment, and it was early. So this was early uh, on the 15th. Uh, no, I'm still, still on the 14th. It had gone through, he'd been taken... And then the next morning, still the 14th, uh, they took him into the judgment hall. Lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Now, here it begins to explain that the Jews were a day late keeping the Passover. Some of the Jews to this day keep the 15th instead of the 14th Passover. It doesn't really matter what Exodus or any other scripture says about the 14th. They keep it on the 15th. So Christ had already had the Passover with his disciples, right? And then he was taken and condemned. And that morning is when judgment was passed on him. <clears throat> and then they mistreated him until he was crucified at three in the afternoon. And the Jews didn't want to be defiled by him because they were going to have their Passover that evening, beginning of the 15th. So when it speaks of the Passover through here, it'll call it the Jews' Passover, not God's Passover, not the Lord's Passover, 
the Jews' Passover. You'll see that several times. Now, didn't he tell us to do as he did and follow what he did and set the example? It has always been on the 14th with the Lamb, and he changed the symbols, and it was still on the beginning of the 14th with him. Now, which way am I going to keep? The day he did it or the day the Jews did it? They still don't want to admit that he was the Christ. That's a lot of it. Then Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against him? They answered and said to him, If he were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him to you. He's a sinner. He's a lawbreaker. Then said Pilate to them, Take you him and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said to him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death. Now where did they get that? That had to be Pharisaical teaching. Because all through the Old Testament, uh, they stoned people with stones, put them to death when they did certain crimes. That had always been the case. But here, they had gotten away from Scripture. Didn't follow Scripture anymore. Uh, Verse 32, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying what death he should die. They were going to put him to death here shortly, that same day. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Say you this thing of yourself, or did others tell it to you of me? Did somebody call me that? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. (coughs) What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, (coughs) then would my servants fight that I should not deliver to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from here. (coughs) That's a verse we use a lot. When it comes to fighting for the U.S. Army, God's kingdom is not of this world, and why should we fight for an army that is not God's army? We're in God's army. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answers him, You said I'm a king. To this end was I born. And for this cause I came into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone that is of the truth hears my voice. Well, not many people hear his voice. That means there must not be very many of the truth. Most people will not listen to Christ's voice. Even Christians. Pilate said to him, Well, okay. Then what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find in him no fault at all. Pilate was conducting a trial here. He was the judge. He says, I see no fault. 
But you have a custom that I should release to you one at the Passover. Will you therefore that I release to you the king of the Jews? Pilate had this one pardon he could give every year. And obviously he was inclined to pardon Christ. He hadn't found anything wrong with it. Then cried they all again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. <clears throat> he was out and out thief. He'd been caught probably more than once because it was well known he was a robber. And they said, Oh, no, give us Barabbas. We've... Don't release Christ. He needs to die. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. The scourging was a very terrible thing they did that just stripped the hide right off of you. And the soldiers platted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews! And they smote him with their hands. So they made a total mockery. A crown of thorns. How would you like that jammed down on your head? One little uh, goat head in my foot. That's plenty for me. I don't want any more than that. But what about a long thorns that they'd gotten off something, made a crown out of them, and jammed it on his head? They didn't do that gently. They hated him. They wanted him dead. So they slammed it down on his head, and those thorns went all the way through the flesh to the skull. And put a purple robe on him, royal colors. And they laughed and mocked him and said, King of the Jews, King of the Jews. Yeah, yeah, you're some king, aren't you? Look what we're doing to you. You can't do a thing about it, can you? Pilate therefore went forth again and said to them, Behold, I bring him forth to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. So they'd already begun to mistreat him terribly, mocking and Pilate came out and told them again, I don't find any fault in him. Then came Jesus forth, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Must have impressed him in a way that he could take what he was taking and that crown of thorns on his head. He didn't call him king of the Jews. He says, Behold the man. Wow! He's taking something most people couldn't handle. When the chief priest thereof and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take you him and crucify him, for I have find no fault in him. It's on you, it's not on me. You go do it. You want it done, you do it. I don't find any fault. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. Now, that's kind of a strange thing. We can't put anybody to death, but according to the law, he should die. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid. This is scaring Pilate. He was... A Roman, 
And the whole thing sounded really way too fishy for him. And it scared him. What if this is the Son of God? What if he is the King of the Jews? What if he has power beyond what I imagine? And he already said, Behold the man. You the man, he might say today in the flag. And went again into the judgment hall and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then said Pilate to him, Speak you not to me? You're not going to answer me? Know you not that I have power to crucify you and have power to release you? He could have released it. Jesus answered, You could have no power at all against me uh, except it were given you from above. Therefore, he that delivers me to you has the greater sin. The Jews. And from thenceforth, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whosoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. They were using the ultimate leverage against him, uh, because Caesar was all-powerful, and he could have had Pilate killed. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, or heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, uh, Gebata. <clears throat> and it was the preparation of the Passover in about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold your king. So it was on the day prior to, the, it was still on the 14th, prior to the Jews' fast, Passover, not Christ's Passover, which had already happened, as we've seen. Behold your king! But they cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. <laughs> Do the Jews ever lie? They knew good and well a Roman Caesar would not be their king. They were expecting someone to come and be their king, but they were not going to accept Christ as that king. Then delivered he him, therefore, to them to be crucified, and they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha. <clears throat> where they crucified him and two other with him on either side one, and Jesus in the middle. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Now that frosted the priests <laughs> and the Jews. They were denying that he was their king, and yet Pilate pulled one on them, is what happened. He said he was the king of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews for the place where Jesus was crucified near to the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. He wrote it in three different languages and put it up there on top of his stake. Then said the chief priest of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am king of the Jews. They wanted it right the way they wanted it, not the way Pilate laid it on them. 
Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. It's going to stay that way. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts, to every soldier a part, but also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. Well, just a one-piece garment was his coat. These were fine clothes that he was wearing. The soldiers found them valuable. Did the other two thieves on the other stakes have their clothes divided up? I doubt it. They were just common thieves and probably didn't have nice clothes. But Christ did. They said, therefore, among themselves, Let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be. They, they were jealous of it. That the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, They parted my raiment among them. I think that's in, uh, that's in Psalm 22. We read it last night. And for my vesture, they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. So he was stark naked on the stake, and they had his clothes divided among themselves. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Caiaphas, and Mary Magdalene, three Marys. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing by whom he loved, John speaking of himself again, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her into his own home. There's several references through where uh, Peter had his own house, John had his own house, Jesus had his house. As the scripture says, he went into his own house. People think he was just a vagabond. No, he wasn't. They had houses. Peter had a wife. She didn't live out on the street. <clears throat> But what he did was he gave his mother over to adoption to John. He says, this is your mother, this is your son. I'm going away. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, says, I thirst. We just sang a song uh, taken from that very verse. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and died. Gave up the spirit of a man which was in him. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath to them was a high day. It wasn't to God's people. It wasn't to Christ or his disciples. They'd already done that. So this was the Jews. People who want to keep the 15th who have been in the church quote these scriptures saying, well, the 15th today. No, that's the Jews' Passover. And it clearly says that in several places. The Jews' Passover. The Lord's Passover is the 14th. <clears throat> so they besought Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. If somebody had been on the stake, they'd been there since about three, 
until six. Uh, you simply came by and broke their legs, and that put your body sagged down, and you couldn't breathe. So you died right away. Then came the soldiers and broke the legs of the first and of the other, which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they broke not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. And he that saw it, John, bear record, and his record is true. And he knows that he says true that you might believe. For these things were done. No, didn't happen. Yeah, we, we read last night that he could see his bones. They'd stripped the flesh off with the scourging and the continuing things that they did to him through today. And he could see and count his bones, but they didn't break any. And that's what the Scripture had said in the Old Testament. And again, another Scripture says, they shall look on him whom they pierced. So it was prophesied that he would not have his bones broken, but be pierced. And that's the way this worked out. Can God cause prophecy to happen the way he wrote it? Yeah. There's a lot of them there he's written about us here at the end time. Are they going to happen? Yep. No doubt. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him leave. He came, therefore, and took his body. So Joseph was a secret admirer, but he didn't want the Romans or the Jews to know. It says fear of the Jews here, not the Romans, but either one could be problems. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night, and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. Then they took the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes with the spices, as the manner of the Jews is, to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, a garden, a new sepulcher, wherein was never man yet laid. There said they, uh, there laid they Jesus, therefore because of the Jews, Preparation day for the sepulcher was near at hand. So he was all wrapped up. They used the spices and everything. And then three days later, he was resurrected. And one of the accounts says that uh, he folded up the grave garments and laid them where he had been. That Here you are. Your arm's probably at your side, and you've got all this linen, linen wrapped around you. And if you woke up, you couldn't move. That'd be a terrifying moment, wouldn't it? I'm awake, I'm alive, it's dark in here, and I can't move. But he was resurrected, and we know there were angels in attendance as we go on, or other scriptures. I'm sure they unwrapped him. 
Or God gave him the strength to just burst the bonds. Who knows? I wasn't there. Angels were, though. And he was such. Now, how would you do it? <clears throat> if you were in a dark place, a grave, and you woke up, and you somehow got your grave clothes off. We don't we don't wrap people like that anymore. We put them in what we think they might like to be buried in, whether they don't care. But uh, we do that for our sakes. But I can't imagine myself saying, well, let's see. I think the first thing I ought to do is take off my clothes and stack them neatly. They stink from having had a dead body in them. I don't want them, but... I'm still going to fold them up nicely and leave them here. I'd, well, maybe if I had this in mind, I might. But my nature would be, I'm out of here. <laughs> but he took his time and left everything in order. I think there's a huge lesson there for us about making sure things are done decently and in order. And... Uh, this is off the subject, but I had in mind after I came home from being away that I wanted to do an awful lot of cleanup around here because things had just gotten messy in our boneyard, and, and uh, I wanted to get it all cleaned up, partly because of something like this. I, you know, do we want Christ looking down on this mess uh, or not? And he's going to show up here one of these days, or years, whenever he does, and he's going to be not up there looking at it, he's going to be down here walking through it. So he told the Israelites, uh-uh, you take a shovel and you go cover up your mess. I don't want to walk in it if I come walking through the camp at night. Be sure it's buried. So he doesn't like things in a mess, and I don't either. So I... But after I got back, wanting to do this, it started raining and raining. And you can't even pick up anything out there without burying tractors. So it's kind of been on hold. But uh, I want us to follow Christ's example and have a meeting. Get all the ideas of all the things that need to be done. And then get people assigned to doing this or that or the other thing. And maybe we can get this done pretty quickly, and looking more like God's place. Now, I had a dream before we ever bought this land uh, that was very clear, and it was a be living in the middle of a shallow valley, and we would be living in old mobile homes. So we're stuck with that. I think God showed me that. And when we bought this land... We were quite a few of us talking. Well, we don't have much money. What are we going to live in? We could build straw bale houses and stucco them, make them look good. We could have use adobe. Uh, somebody went clear to Texas to check out some special buildings they were making down there because we didn't know for sure what to do. I'd forgotten about the dream. And then somebody went out and bought an old mobile home and moved it on and started fixing it up. And then somebody else did, and somebody else did, and somebody else, and first thing you know, we had an old mobile home village for the most part. 
which is what God had showed me we would have. And then I remembered, oh, that's what that was about. And here we are. And it was this shallow valley that was in the dream. So that was before we found the valley and before we put the mobile homes in. All right, we can have a mobile home village, and it can be old mobile homes, and that's fine with God because he said that's what we do. Does that mean, then, that we need to make it look like a Mississippi trailer park with a bunch of old cars and junk laying around? No. Uh, it's our house. We need to have it clean in it, clean around it, clean with all of our public property that goes with it, because that's how God would have us be. So, I didn't mean to get off on this at the end of a sermon about Christ, but at the same time, I was just reminded that he folded up his stinky old grave clothes and left them in order. He knew he was going, but he wanted to leave it in order. And we ought to have things in order. And didn't Christ tell Hezekiah, when he told him he's going to die, he says, get your house in order. <laughs> get things squared away. Keep it squared away. You're about to die. So, that's another story. But we've come to the end of our time today, so let's stop there. I don't know whether we'll continue with this or not. Well, we won't tomorrow. Whether we'll continue with it or I may go a different direction, we'll see.